Rony Zone Media and Once Upon a Time Fan Podcast proudly present Disney Once Again. Hello and welcome to Disney Once Again. In this podcast, we will revisit a Disney classic animated film. We're going to give our favorite things about it and any connections that we see to ABC TV's Once Upon a Time. Your hosts are Jeff Roney and Colleen Roney. And now on with the show. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. This is podcast episode number 232. The show notes can be found at onceuponatimepodcast.com slash 232. So this time, we are going to be discussing Beauty and the Beast. Yes, we are. I will let you begin. First, a couple things about this movie. It was based on the French fairy tale that was written in the 1700s by Jean-Marie Le Prince du so, <laughs> oh, that guy. All no, right. It's a woman, by the oh, way. Oh, that woman. <laughs> yes. Good. Oh, good. I love her work, especially this one. And yes, this particular version of it was actually one of the writers of it was Brenda Chapman. Ah, the okay? animated feature. Yes. Right. If you're familiar with Brenda Chapman, you know that she also did the story for Brave. Yes. So. Not that we're talking about Brave, but I just thought I'd throw that in there because I thought it was fascinating. Cool. As with most of the Disney movies, Once Upon a Time is the very beginning of the story. Yes. I noticed that too. That was the first thing. Before the movie even started, and it was just partially because the special edition we watched, which, by the way, we should say that we're watching the special edition (laughs) because there was an extra scene in there. I'm sitting there going, gosh, I haven't seen this movie since probably the mid-90s. Right. We're talking almost 20 years, and I don't remember that scene at all. (laughs) I I believe, as we said, we watch a special edition, and then we're recording this. We didn't go through and research everything, but I believe... The Human Again song yes. and segment was included in the special edition. Right. It was added so, into the special edition. I believe. Because I know that was not in the original theatrical release. I don't remember it. So, anyhow. <laughs> I'm pretty positive. So, back to this is we're watching this and it starts off with the narrator explaining, which again is a very classic Disney opening. The narrator explaining kind of the backstory to get you caught up to where we are when we meet these characters. So, he refers to the prince who was spoiled, selfish, and unkind, who one night an old woman comes to the castle where he lives asking for shelter. And he's so rotten that he turns her away. And then she turns into a beautiful enchantress. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, forgive me. And she's like, nope, you know what? You had your chance, buddy. So guess what? Here's a rose for you. And when this rose sheds its last petal, you're going to stay in your beastly form forever. And she turns him into a beast. Unless. Unless you find true love, which means you have to love someone, learn how to love someone, and you have to earn her love in return. So she said he had no love in his heart, which will tie in very nicely with Once Upon a Time later. He had a magic mirror. To see the outside world, he Mm -hmm. locked himself away in his castle, and his view to the world was the magic mirror. 
most of these stories yeah. that I really relate to, and I think most people do, are morality plays. Sure. Don't do this or this could happen. Right. It's a warning. And in this case, it's don't be selfish and never judge a book by its cover. And it's interesting because never judge a book by its cover and Bell's treasures are books. books. Right. So it's kind of ties mm-hmm. together nice. Yes. That was the whole beginning of that. Then we meet Belle. And we meet Belle as she's going into the town. And the song is mm-hmm. what just really like hit me like a ton of bricks. I couldn't believe that that was you know, something we didn't pick up later watching Once Upon a Time. Was that it's a little town, a quiet, a little quiet village every day like the one before? Ring a bell? Yeah, true, <laughs> true. Sounds exactly like mm-hmm. the plot for Welcome to Storybrook, right? Yes, or season one almost, almost in its entirety. Well, yeah. there is that too. Yep. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But I was thinking more specific. Mm-hmm. Yep. Welcome to Storybrook. Mm-hmm. Every morning it was the same, and yep. Regina walked through the town, and it was the same. So. Anyway, she's reading a book, and one of the things that struck me was that she was reading about a beanstalk and an ogre, Yep, which I thought was interesting. I love the opening song because it's an exposition, so Mm, therefore we don't need a huge dialogue to kind of catch up with all these things. And it's happened before. This is not the first time, but I think it's wonderfully used. And you're right. The narrator actually sets up the story. Uh But then we learn about the town. We learn about Belle. We learn about what's going on right. with all the the bakers and all these different people in the town through this song and she's riding through the town so it's a tour song i don't know i think it was really like you said it was well done so it was now i the other thing as i recall first thing i thought when i saw this movie the opening again i remember thinking to myself seeing this in the theater how great it was and oh wow look at the colors and look at the thing but i was watching it this time and i have to say that Snow White, to me, was more beautifully drawn. Mm-hmm. Not to malign any of the artists or the animators, because they're, look, they're phenomenal. They, they're able to capture human emotion and feeling, and even emotions through animals and inanimate objects. And they're able to do it very well. But when you're talking about an artistic quality, it was very definitely, to me, it felt a lot like the style of the 90s. I know that sounds crazy, and maybe nobody understands what I'm talking about, but there was a definite, distinct drawing style in the 1990s that this fits in perfectly. It just fits right in with the... If you look at the cartoons that were out around that time, it fits in. And I'm not talking animated features. I'm talking Saturday morning cartoons. But anyway. So then as we're going through the town, Belle is so unaware of how pretty she is and how much the townspeople admire her but they're also a little wary of her because she's so odd but it's not like they're i don't want to come across like they're afraid of her because i don't believe that's the case at all i think they just find that she's very she's so different i mean they even sing it she's different from the rest of us and they're probably relaying some of that because of her father as well i think that's they that's possibly very true an inventor is odd that comes up with these things that sure. they don't understand sure so sure then we meet gaston Gaston is very, very ridiculously vain, unbelievably vain, like over-the-top vain. Mm -hmm. He just is so full of himself and has no compassion. He actually, if you think about it, has no love in his heart, but for anyone except himself. So technically he has no love in his heart. 
So he's the one, even though the, the beast is the one that was originally cursed in that form. I think Gaston is just as much of a beast. For real. I, you for know, real, without for real. a curse. Yeah. Exactly. He didn't need the curse to become one. So that was that. You may get there, but I just want to say that Gaston says he wants Belle to be his wife because right. she's beautiful. But as I look around, there is at least three other beautiful, more beautiful women, I would say, <laughs> in the town than Belle. Yeah. But it's almost like maybe he sees something different in Belle. And he doesn't even realize it. I have more notes as far as the battle of the sexes and the difference between the two as we go forward. So we'll get there. But it's almost like he doesn't realize how good Belle is, even though he wants her for her beauty. He's kind of like backing into something really great, well, but he doesn't realize. It, let's so. let's let's also look at what he is. He's a hunter. That's his mm-hmm. thing. He yeah, his right. he's a hunter. Right. And if you are going out hunting. For the sport of hunting itself, you don't want deer. They're going to just walk right up to you and go, okay, here you go. Take a big shot yeah, at me. Yeah, okay. So right. I think that's why even though the three Bimbets, although one of them's name is actually Bimbet, the other one's Babet, and I can't remember the third one. Mm-hmm. But because the three Bimbets are so willing to fall all over themselves and throw themselves at him, they're not much of a challenge. Whereas Belle... Yeah. Belle's a huge challenge because so, she doesn't want to have anything to do with anybody. So it's like you want what you can't have. <clears throat> Good. So in, in that case, that's why he wants her. Yeah, she's beautiful, but I think it's more than anything else. He wants her because it's a trophy. He talks about decorating his entire house and with antlers. Yeah, he uses yeah. antlers and decorating. She didn't have antlers, but she's definitely a prize, a trophy to be had, and that's why he wants her so badly. And I think, too, the fact that she completely like rejects him just absolutely, like, feeds that fire, that need to conquer, because she's not falling over me. The other thing we noticed, and maybe it was our version of the movie, maybe it was our copy of the movie, but there were some distinct lines in the drawing, of the, especially of the characters, for most of the movie. There was too much contrast. The only thing I'll say about that is maybe it's because it was such a darker film. Maybe. When it's dark, and it's someone is in the dark with very little light, Obviously, you can shade on one side, but the other side, you have to have a white line. It's an old artist trick to kind of make it stand out. Possibly. This had a lot of it. And I'll just say, we're not bashing. No, not at all. We're not haters. No, it was just very different. It was driving me crazy. Well, it was very different than the the simple lines and the muted lines of Snow White. Watching. From an artistic perspective, I was looking at it going, it was far more. There was a lot more contrast, a mm-hmm. lot sharper of lines, and it wasn't as soft as the backgrounds were. Some of the backgrounds were definitely, you know, a lot yeah. softer. But all, most of Snow White was very simply but elegantly drawn. And this was, I there were, I think they were looking for more advanced techniques at this point. Now, I don't want to geek out, and we definitely need to move on because I don't want to stay here and geek on, geek out. But I know that they were using computer animation Absolutely. for Pixar. a number of the scenes, right. and Pixar did the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if computers were involved in the animation process. I don't right. know if somehow that was involved. What I understood was so. that the animations of the characters were all hand-drawn. Mm-hmm. The majority of the backgrounds were hand-drawn, and it was really the ballroom at the Beast Castle that was, and the library were CGI. Okay. But again, 
I would need to do research on that to be sure. Maybe it was a style. Maybe the producer mm-hmm. or the director said, yeah. we want to take it with this style. And maybe yeah. they drew a number of things and say, we want it to look like this. And maybe at that point, Disney kind of wanted to do something different instead sure. of the same. Sure. Possibly, maybe. maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Well, and realize, too, that we're talking about a pretty big span of time frame. I mean, Little Mermaid was only released four years before this, and that was the first movie they had done in a very long time. Mm. So you're talking about a whole new group of animators. So yeah. the style is going to be very different from what we're used to seeing. Anything before Little Mermaid is going to have a very distinct style, the, the nine old men that we've you know grown to love. And then from that point forward, you're going to have a totally different rendering of characters, a yeah. whole different group of people. The other thing I noticed was that her horse's name is Philippe, mm-hmm. which is Philip, French for Philip, which I thought was funny because it's not Sleeping Beauty, but it's beauty. So there was kind of that little tie there. The wolf scenes yeah. were specifically chilling to me. Oh, very much so. And it was really, really well well done there were a couple moments where it was very kind of scary and you're Mm -hmm. you're sitting there and poor horse is like trying to do the right thing and he's being told no 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 go this way go this way and that's when they get themselves in trouble and then maurice blames him for what happened which where'd you take us why'd you take us over here you know and, and then the horse runs off and the wolves start chasing after him, and then you turn around, there's Maurice sitting there thinking to himself, okay, maybe I can get away. And all of a sudden, the wolves are after him now. So he's got to kind of get himself to safety, and he manages to get himself into the gate of Beast's castle, the courtyard. And when he goes inside the house, you know, it's it's kind of a funny little scene where the furniture and things start talking to him, the enchanted objects start talking to him. And then the Beast comes down. And I don't know if you noticed this, but his shadow is cast on the wall. Did it remind you of anybody? Looked like Maleficent to me. We just saw Maleficent in theater, and it was almost like, okay, another evil character with horns. Well, yeah, because horns are pretty scary, especially when they're curved like that and they're kind of twisty. It's you know, it's always been a symbol of the devil. So, but the horns did, you know, the beast shadow did look very much like Maleficent, which again is Sleeping Beauty, Mm -hmm. a little nod to Sleeping Beauty, a little bit. And to tie in with that is Mm -hmm. the the gates, the way they were drawn. The way the old estate looked, the castle, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to me, it looked like a classic horror film. Yeah, yeah, kind of did. Maybe it was because it was in the dark, but it definitely, to me, looked like classic Frankenstein uh-huh. or something like that. Just the really, anyway. I agree. So. No, it was it was beautifully drawn. It was an impressive castle. We're seeing Belle again. We're seeing her. She's singing, and she says, I want adventure in the great wide somewhere, which, again, ties into Once Upon a Time because our Belle in Once Upon a Time wanted to go on adventures so and we'll talk about that a little more later um, i i, I did ahead. want to say this really fast is this is not going to be a complete researched review of beauty and the beast if you've listened previously to our once upon a time fan podcast episodes this is more like a first thoughts if you will yeah we're so revisiting a classic animated film we're giving our thoughts and impressions about things so right the furniture the enchanted furniture and objects are speaking to each other, and they're like, because Belle has figured out what's going on. She found her father. She went, run, well, that's because Philippe came back. And so she took him and went to look for him. And what I noticed was that there's a little trail. And I, I remember thinking to myself, his hat is left on the ground. And I couldn't recall why exactly then I remembered, oh, yeah, it's because she's going to find it. And she did, and that's how she knew he was in the castle. And so then when she found him, 
the or when she's in the castle, you know, the objects are like, oh, she's the one we've been waiting for. She's come to break the spell because, again, nobody has been to the castle in that long of a time. And I know it's really it's a touch and go situation because they're com- they're running out of time, and that's part of the problem. Beast comes in and scares living daylights out of her. And she's like, let him go, let him go, he's sick. And he's like, he's my prisoner, and he's angry. And she says, take me instead. That was the brave thing to do. That was her thing was, you know what, I'll take his place. She loved her father more than life and was willing to take his place. And so... Which um, reminded me of... What? Once upon a time. Well, of course. When Belle steps in to willingly go with Rumble for the safety order, of right, her, the safety her of her little village. town, yeah. yeah, her village, yep. her town. It, what was funny is that her first prison. He says, "What do you think? I, he, do you think I was going to leave you in the tower?" And then he takes her to her room, and then he tells her anywhere but the West Wing. That's forbidden. So then he said, "You know, he basically gets kind of angry, and the, the objects in the house realize that this may be their one and only shot for." reversing the curse so they're trying to encourage it and they're saying look you should invite her for dinner be nice to her and then he says join me for dinner that's not a request Mm -hmm. (laughs) wow grumpy much in the bar gaston's chair did you notice what it looked like it looked like the beast it was very tall brown fur had horns on the top and uh, curved legs Mm. at the bottom looked very much like the beast in the bar, when they're talking there, it's Gaston, you know, complaining about the fact that Belle won't marry him. And then Maurice breaks in, says he's got her locked in the dungeon. So <laughs> she went in the dungeon, she went in the tower, she was actually in a room, but they didn't know that. But I thought it was funny because in Once Upon a Time, he puts her in the dungeon at one point, and she gets locked in the tower later. So back in the castle, the enchanted objects and the furniture, because I don't know what else to call them. They're trying to say to him, look, she might very well be the thing that's going to break this curse. And he, the beast is really unhappy because he says she'll never see me as anything other than a beast, a monster. It's, hel- it's hopeless, which, again, goes completely with Once Upon a Time in that Rumpel never thought she would see him as... He's, he even said, I'm a monster. Mm-hmm. So another little nod to another Disney movie which I thought was hilarious, is at one point in time, Lumiere says, which is exactly what the chef said in Little Mermaid. Because hmm. in, in Little Mermaid, he goes, I missed one. So now this one is, and then he goes on about something else. So I noticed there were a bunch of beer steins in there, in the, which, again, we keep seeing the beer steins, which I think is funny because they're not the dwarves' beer steins, but I just thought it was funny. It was a little tie in there. The doorknobs in the West Wing, which is where she wanders after she tells the beast, no, I'm not having dinner. Right. I'm not having dinner with you. He gets mad and he storms off. And so she wanders off to the, you know, that's after the whole dinner scene. They, the, you know, the household prepares this amazing dinner scene for her, which again, you were going to talk about what that dinner scene reminded you of. Right. I also wanted to say this, that not just here, but throughout the film is it was a classic misunderstanding or battle of the sexes. Mm-hmm. Just the guys don't know or the, the male doesn't know how to talk or eat or dress or act all <laughs> these different things. And so it's this trying to connect and it's almost impossible because the all the little 
the Lumiere and Cogsworth and, and all of them are trying to explain to the beast how to act, how to <laughs> get along. And mm-hmm. he's not getting it. He just thinks he just needs to show up and, and he, he's enough. That's true. It, he it was the whole home. battle of the battle of the sex. It was very interesting. And even later on when we have the apology little exchange, it's still very, you know, male and female kind of. Mm-hmm. Just not not getting it. What I was going to say is that Be Our Guest song, which, you know, we talked about Pixar a little bit already. It reminded me of the Esther Williams, Poole, Busby Berkeley kind of routine. Mm-hmm. Is the camera above and they were all doing their routine and it all looked wonderful from above. And right. So. <clears throat> Bus- Busby Berkeley was known for his geometric patterns with his, you know, dancing, you know, musical numbers. And he also was one of the ones that kind of choreographed and um, orchestrated, you know, a lot of Esther Williams movies, her scenes in her movies, especially with the, the pool. So you could see the silverware diving into the, you know, the champagne or the punch bowls or whatever. And uh, and then just the geometric patterns and shapes and um, really cool. It was very well orchestrated. If you go to Epcot, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Hollywood Studios. If you go to Hollywood Studios and ride the great movie ride, mm-hmm. there is a segment, a section where you'll see ladies in swimming suits around this, you know, object. And that's the whole Busby Berkeley, mm-hmm. Esther Williams thing. And most people really don't realize, well, say, what is that? I don't know. But mm-hmm. that's that's what that there is. There you so. have it. There's some great old movies back then. I didn't know that dishes, chairs, and lamps had destinies. But that's really what that song says is a dish is meant to be filled. We are here to serve you. If we don't do that, our lives are basically meaningless. And it right. was very, really interesting I've never thought about that. No, that is true, uh, huh? Watching it again and kind of listening, and it was just they were happy to be used as they were created or mm-hmm. made. So, exactly. Yeah. And they wanted to be. That's what they wanted more than anything else was to be serving. That was yeah. their whole goal. So that was, yeah, a good point, really good point, because I didn't think about that. So she runs off. She's all done. And now she wants to go explore. She's too, you know, they're like, oh, okay, bedtime. She goes, no, I would like to explore. And they said, Okay, sure, we'll take you on a tour. And Cogsworth is hilarious. He's just telling her all the historical facts and figures. And what I also noticed is that the suits of armor, they all turn their heads to look at her when she walked by. Again, referring to her beauty. But it's more than just her beauty because, you could, I mean, there's something about her. There was something about Belle that was very, it was more than just her being pretty. It was, there was something about her spirit and being kind-hearted and you know, being strong, but being a kind, sweet young lady. And I think they all picked up on that. And it was funny because Cogsworth <laughs> tells them, as you were, back to your station mm-hmm. or something like that. It was really cute. They all turned their heads. Oh, sorry, sorry. So, but she she wants to go up to the West Wing. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't go up there. We don't go up there. That's oh, Nothing's up there. And he, she said, really? Well, what is, if he's not, if he doesn't, if it's forbidden, then they're, must be something up there and he don't want me to see and they're like no 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 let's go look at the tapestries which by the way were hanging all over the place in rumple's castle so it was a nice little nod to that she gets them talking about anything else and when they mention the library they are excited to show her the library 
problem is she goes, oh, so you're distracted? All right, I'm going to go up there anyway. And she goes up there. And it's one of those things you go, scary movie. Don't go up there. Don't go in that door. No, 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 don't do that. Ah, this is not good. And then she finds the rose. And she's ready to touch the rose. I mean, she took the glass dome off the rose and was about to touch it. Which, if you know anything about roses that are dying, would have destroyed half, more than half of it instantly. It was far too fragile. And the beast comes in and covers it up, protects it. Which I find interesting because if he was so just unhappy, then you would have thought he would have been like, I don't care. But he was very protective. He wanted to protect it. He wants as much time as he possibly can. I think there's some little glimmer of hope in him at that point that maybe, just maybe, there's a chance. He's not sure how to go about it. Like you said, it's that whole battle of the sex is kind of, he's not sure what to do, but he's hoping against hope that there's a possibility. He wanted her to come down for dinner and basically demanded yeah. her. And for the first time, they're actually doing something the same. Yeah. And they met around the rose. So he kind of happened upon this moment where, you know, he may have thought at that point, maybe there is something here. Sure. With her. Sure. So. And that's why I think he was so hopeful. Which is funny because earlier he said he was a monster and it was hopeless. So now he's got a tiny, you can see that tiny little sliver of hope that maybe, just maybe, if he has enough time to maybe win her heart, maybe things will change. Hope is a pretty powerful thing. She gets really unhappy. I noticed that the doorknobs to the West Wing were gold, almost like lion or beast heads. I thought that was really interesting. A little nod to Rumpelstiltskin as well. And then... She gets mad and she she leaves. She goes, I don't care. Promise or no promise. I'm out of here. I'm done. This is it. And because he tells her to get out and he's upset. And then again, as she leaves, we see that he's very remorseful over that. He's he knows that was the dumbest move ever to tell her to leave. So she runs out. She jumps on Philippe and she rides away. And unfortunately, she's beset upon by the wolves again. Yep. So he saves her from the wolves. But then the wolves turn on him and attack him, and he's very injured in the process. And so she turns around and saves him, which was kind of a nice little, again, beginning of their friendship, so to speak. As time progresses, he eventually gives her the library and shows it to her. And and it's more books than she's ever seen, and she's very excited, and he just says, it's yours, which is very much like what Rumpelstiltskin Mm -hmm. did for Belle in Storybook when he gave her the key to the library and said she's a librarian, basically. It was something, there was a scene where they were at the doorway, and he had rescued her and Mm -hmm. and brought her back. And so it was this, if you didn't, da-da-da, well, if you had da-da-da, and then uh, at the end, she said, thank you right. for saving me. And he kind of, you're welcome. Yeah. And that was the first time I think they really sort of connected mm-hmm. verbally. And then sure. so he finally at least understood a little bit <laughs> how to interact <laughs> with the opposite sex. So. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. And then this was at the point where then all of a sudden the house goes into a frenzy and starts singing that Human Again song. Which, again, I sat there watching it going... 
I know I I don't think I've ever seen this before and Mm -hmm. pretty confident that that was an add in for the special edition. So I'd heard that they had some scenes that they had not included in the theatrical release that were included, I guess, in the special edition, but I didn't realize it was actually like put into the movie. So anyway, they're, they're cleaning up the house to kind of prepare for the special evening. Dinner becomes a special event. They have their special dinner where they're both kind of, he's trying really hard to, to do the right thing. And, and she's a little taken back by his table manners. And he, you know, they kind of play with each other a little bit. And it was really cute. It was really very cute the way they interacted with each other. And then they have the dance. They have their beautiful little dance in the beautiful ballroom. I can recall seeing that scene for the first time and being just in awe of the technical ability that computers could do to make this ballroom that not only had incredible detail and lifelike detail, but then to also put their shadows into the, you know, the, the dancing as they're going, you can see the reflection of their shadows on the floor. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It was really, really well done. Then when they're done, they go out on the patio, which reminded me very much of Regina's patio out on her castle very rounded kind of curved and he shows her father to her because she's happy there but at the same time she misses her father i really wish i could just see him just one more time and he shows her the mirror and he's sick and in trouble and so he gives her the freedom and then he wants her to take the mirror with her so she could see him and remember him and it was a very tender very sweet moment he's stroking her hair and just I think he's drinking in every moment of her because he knows that letting her go means that she'll never come back and his chance is lost he'll stay a beast forever and that's a nod to Once Upon a Time absolutely it is because in Once Upon a Time Rumple realizes that he's falling for Belle and that she could possibly maybe have feelings for him too and he releases her. Yeah. And to go to town. To go for to the town straw. for more mm-hmm. straw. Yep. And he and she says, You trust me to come back? And he said, I don't expect I'll ever see you again. And so that was that whole it was a very it was a very sweet moment. Both both in the movie and in the in the once upon a time. Belle comes back and her father, you know, she, she nurses him back to health a little bit, and then Gaston comes along. Jerky, jerky Gaston. Cannot let it go. He absolutely just cannot let it go. He's got to try and convince her to marry him. And he's figured out, he figured out back in the tavern, the best way to do it is to commit her father. Because she would do anything to keep him from being committed, for being crazy. Because that's one thing she's so adamant about is he's not crazy. He's a genius. And so convincing everyone else that he's crazy and putting him away, he'd be able to stop it. If she marries him. And that's exactly what happens is he comes and he wants to commit her father. And for those that don't know, the gentleman that runs the asylum, he is the same actor who voiced Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes. Which he's got a very distinct voice. Gaston tells her, I can stop this because the asylum warden comes and tries to take Maurice away. And he says, I can stop it. You just have to marry. And she's like, never. So then he says, lock him up. (laughs) 
let's take him away. And she says, I can prove that he's not crazy. And that's when she shows the beast. And then Gaston realizes, okay, there's really only one way this is going to happen. I've got to go kill that beast. And it's funny because here he's pursued Belle this whole entire time. He wants to marry her. And the only thing he wants more is to kill the beast. So that hunter instinct, that monstrous instinct kicks in. He shows that he's the monster, not the beast. Sure. Gaston is the monster. So he, they, you know, that whole mob song of kill the beast. Did it remind you of anything? Cause it reminded me an awful lot of Frankenstein. And there was also a song that was similar to that. I thought in Pocahontas, there was savages, a savages, mm-hmm. I yes. think was the song. You're absolutely so. right. Yeah, absolutely right. He incites the mob to go kill the beast. And he basically says, take whatever you want, but the beast is mine. Mm-hmm. That was his ultimate price. He didn't care about anything else in the castle at all. Who knows how much treasure there could have been in there. That wasn't important to him. He wanted to kill the beast, which is ugh, horrific. So the scene unfolds, and I loved watching. I can recall, even back when the movie was out in the theaters, I can recall watching the furniture attacking the townspeople and thinking to myself, yeah, get him, knock him out with your drawers, go, <laughs> you know, poke him in the butt with your little, you know, poker. It was very funny. It made me laugh. And it was, it was really my One of my favorite ones was the wardrobe that um, pulled the guy inside and made him up to look like a girl with right. really high red curly hair and a bikini top and a very funny. It was rather amusing, yep. rather amusing. The outfit actually reminded me of Ace Ventura, of all things. I know. Crazy. Okay. <laughs> well, because it was like a tutu skirt. The interesting thing is hunters <laughs> are almost across the board bad in Disney films. Sure. Bambi was, the mother was killed yes. by a hunter. Yeah. The huntsman, although he had a turn of heart in right. Snow White, right. he was bad. Mm-hmm. At least he, worked he for did bad things, sure. right? And there are other, I mean, we've talked oh. about the hunting party and Tarzan, all that. Clayton yeah. is the hunter and he was really evil. And it is interesting. Hunters are, for the most part, evil. Yeah, in, I, in, uh, in Disney movies, they tend to be, don't they? The so. stories, the stories tend to make them. And the funny thing is, is that I don't think it's that they're, the, it's that they're hunters. It's their motivation for it. Yeah, the, they weren't hunting for food. The trophy, exactly. Aspect of the it. trophy aspect of it. They'll was do what anything we, to, to yeah. right. So, because I mean, other hunters. I mean, how do you think they lived in? Well, that's my point, eight, I, right? Yeah. So I don't think it was specifically hunters. I think it was specifically hunters who do it for sport. Okay, that was what I think was the message. I don't think it was Disney Disney's message so much as it was the original, you know, storytellers. So the scene is very much like Frankenstein coming with their torches and pitchforks and things like that. Gaston goes up and he shoots with a bow and arrow. Yep. Shoots him in the back. That was horrible. And I felt so bad. I was like, I wanted to scream at the bees, go, fight, defend yourself. Don't let him kill you. This is crazy. Bell's outside. She's coming. She's coming. Don't, yeah. don't, you know, and I wanted to tell him, you know, and he's not going to listen because he's just so distraught. He's so upset because he does love her. He knows that he truly loves her. And, we know she loves him because she's on her way to save him. So it was really cute to me that Chip got in the machine that... The wood chopper the wood invention. Chopper, yeah, that 
basically freed them from the basement or, or the cellar where they were locked up. And then that's when they rode off to go save the beast. But, wow, that was a, an intense scene. You know what else it reminded me of? That whole scene? Enchanted. Hmm. The very final, one of the final scenes of Enchanted where the dragon's up on the roof and Giselle is the one who has to try and save Robert. I don't recall that scene, actually. Wow. I don't. Wow. A big deal scene. Okay. Anyway, so that was another thing that the raining, pouring down rain. Of course, it's pouring down rain when this is happening because you can't have it be just dry and easy when there's a you know a mob scene going on. It's got to be raining. Emotive weather. Weather. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Beast is ready to walk away from Gaston. He almost dropped him over the cliff. Yeah. He had him by the throat over the cliff. All he had to do was let go. And he he changed his heart. His heart was I, filled with love, I guess. And because of that, he decided not to let him fall to his death. And then he climbs up the roof to get to Belle. And that's when Gaston, who is a beast himself, he's the bigger beast. He's a horrible beast. He stabs him in the back or on the side. Yeah. Which is, ugh, that just about killed me when I saw that. Well, it's another one of those things where somebody does the right thing and it turns out to be the wrong thing. So it's that yeah. conflict of... Well, yeah. No, I totally agree. So then, you know, she's, of course, traumatized by this. Beast almost falls back and she pulls him, she pulls him to safety. But Gaston, not so lucky. Gaston falls to his death. We don't actually see it. Oh, but we know he pretty much died. There's no way he survived that. It's interesting because after after this movie, pretty much, you start seeing Disney deaths. We didn't always see things being shown. But in, in a lot of cases, you start seeing things happening. The injuries and, and things like that, where you didn't see it before, not to this extent. So they, I find it interesting that they started showing more, not fully, but you could see the, I mean, the beast was injured. You could see him stabbing him. I mean, it was really, it was pretty intense. Then, you know, she pulls him on the, the patio, which is where they had their moment, which is where he gave her freedom, which is, again, what I believe was when he was basically telling her he loved her. Giving her her freedom was him telling her he loved her. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Once Upon a Time, when Rumpel did the same for Belle, I believe he was saying he, was, he loved her. Yeah. He didn't know how to say it, but I think he did. She's back on the patio, and he lays down there, and he's just, he's dying. And he takes his last breath and she starts crying, no, don't, I love you. And that's when the last rose petal fell. And because she said it in time, thankfully, the transformation happens. And so he's reverted back to his human form. The castle is reverted back to its glory and all the furniture is reverted back to their human forms. And yay, it's a wonderful day. Happy, happy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. And the that segment where the beast was dying mm -hmm. and Belle said, I love you, mm -hmm. that's a very pivotal scene in the show at DCA. World of World Color. World of Color. Yeah. yeah. It's a really pivotal point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you get a lump in your throat. So there's a really powerful, oh. powerful point. Or you sit and sob on the couch like I did. Yeah. <laughs> I will admit it. I, so. I, I Look, I haven't seen this movie. Like I said, it's been about 20 years since I've seen this movie. 
And there were a couple of moments where I could not just stop crying, just tears streaming down my face. The first time was the ballroom, the dance of the ballroom, mm-hmm. which again, throw back to Enchanted. I know we're not talking about Enchanted, but that was also a scene in Enchanted that was really beautiful. But the ballroom scene, the scene where they're dancing again in the ballroom, that was really, it was, yeah, I was sobbing the whole time. All right, let's talk some more connections with Once Upon a Time. Okay. I mentioned this earlier, but the tapestries on the wall, that Mm -hmm. was one of the things that that Lumiere and Cogsworth were trying to get her to look for. Let's go look at the tapestries. Let's go look at the library. And that's what turned her away temporarily from going to the West Wing. Another thing was in Rumpelstiltskin's castle, there is a, one of his collection, it looks like a piece of fur, brown fur with horns. It looks Mm. a lot like the beast. It actually more resembles the chair that Gaston sits in. But anyway. When they tore the the curtains off the window, yeah. when they were cleaning up the, yeah. I don't know if it was the ballroom or the library, but they were cleaning um, and they tore the, the curtains off. It reminded me of Belle in Once Upon a Time pulling them off the window. Yeah. And oh, yeah. In that case, in you're skin right. skin deep, yeah. Yeah. So when, when Rumpel and Belle are talking one day, just she's cleaned up stuff and they're sitting there talking all of a sudden there's a knock at his door he goes and gets it and it's gaston gaston barely has any time to say i am sir gaston and i'm here and then rumple turns him into uh, a rose picks it up and brings it in she said who is at the door and he says oh it was an old woman selling flowers which is how the beast beauty and the beast animation feature started with an old woman at the door the enchantress who Gave him the flower and basically cursed him. So that was kind of fun. Rumpel completely lost his temper a number of times, but mostly after she, he thought she was dead, especially when he thought she was dead. He starts smashing things up, and which is exactly what Beast had done to his own private mm-hmm. rooms up in the West Wing. He lived in that just destroyed clutter. Rumpel destroyed the room where he spent most time, which is exactly what beasted in the movie mm-hmm. and it was just very very i mean the mirrors were broken so he shattered the glass he started shattering the the cups and things and except for chip and chip was the thing that kind of chipped cup or chip was the thing that kind of got him to kind of relax a little bit so we talked a lot about a lot of the other things but those are the other things that i noticed that that i'd forgotten to mention earlier these quite a lot of stuff there were a lot of things and things that we hadn't even thought about little things which we've already covered but i just was i'm just musing on the fact that they really did use an awful lot of stuff from the movie and pulled it in here and there it's a bit of a stretch but a a kiss in once upon a time was actually like love which transformed the beast right into right the human counterpart so it's a stretch but i'll still well yeah because he had to earn her love in return and when Regina explained to her that true love's kiss, if you love each other, can transform him, I think that was the, the big key. Because we're used to it. True love's kiss was in, or love's true kiss was in Snow White. Love's first kiss, but yeah. And then Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty, Beauty has true love's, true love's kiss. So we're kind of used to that motif of its power and, and all this. But in Beauty and the Beast, it was just love. So Right. Yeah. But it was mutual love. That was the whole point. Is it wasn't enough that you right. loved her. She had to love you in return. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a lot of. That's an awful lot to ask. Yep. 
but no, it was good. I, I liked it. I've always liked Beauty and the Beast. I've always thought it was a good movie. I loved watching it in the theater, like I said, 20-plus years ago when it came out. I'm, I'm pretty sure I went and saw it in the theater when it came out. I did double-check, and Human Again was a deleted song from the original cut. Nice. And it was added in for mm. the special edition in yeah. 2002. Nice. So. Well, good. That was the 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Nice. Those are the things I saw from Once Upon a Time and from Beauty and the Beast, the, the connections. I think I've covered everything. Okay. And what I did, we're doing something a little different for the podcast that we're doing through the hiatus, Disney once again, is I'm asking certain podcasters to give us their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so I met uh, Michelle when she was out at Disneyland a Michelle, few weeks back. Michelle Young. Michelle Young. Who was one of the hosts. It was a wonderful last name that I couldn't remember at the time. She's Sorry, Michelle. The, she's one of the hosts of, of... Disney Dream Girls. There we go. With Jane Phipps. That is correct. And so she was kind enough to send in their thoughts of Beauty and the Beast. Excellent. So let us listen to their thoughts. Hello and welcome from the Disney Dream Girl podcast team of Michelle and Jane. We've been kindly asked today to contribute to this review of Beauty and the Beast. So here are our thoughts. Hope you enjoy. Let's take you back to the 1980s. This saw the end of the second wave of the feminist era in the United States. It brought about a big shift in attitudes of women in film. It shook Disney's cage obviously a little bit because no more was the little woman cooking dinner for the seven short men or was she busy cleaning her stepmother's floor this girl has Disney girl power who are we talking about Jane? we're talking about the beautiful Belle of course as Beauty and the Beast came out Belle was quintessentially a woman of the time she wasn't bowtowing cleaning cooking princess that we've been used to seeing she'd actually got a mind of her own she was actually pretty strong-willed disney represented the era of her creation really quite well and it was the emergence of a strong female lead now her counterpart gaston she was not for swaying by him coincidentally did you know that his surname was legume the french word for vegetable Disney has got a sense of humour after all. (laughs) Yeah, she was intelligent. She was forward-thinking, always looking for new information. She she loved her books. She was wanting to expand her mind, her experiences through reading. She's got an inventive father. She was wanting to embrace all knowledge. She didn't conform to the traditional female role. She wasn't subservient. She wasn't going to swoon over Gaston. She knew exactly what he was about. And she wasn't going to let him swear any other way. She's an ambitious little lady. She had aims for herself. But when confronted with the dilemma of her father being captive, she swooped in, showed she cared, and selflessly offered herself to swap place because she knew her father couldn't cope with imprisonment. Yeah, and whilst there, she was able to see beyond the exterior that the beast presented. She knew that you couldn't go by looks alone and she befriended him. And that, in the end, led to something a whole lot more than she probably ever expected. She eventually fell in love with the beast. 
what every true girly seemingly wants. Not, but never mind. You have been listening to Michelle and Jane of the Disney Dream Girls. If you wish to hear more of our views, find us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Thank you, Michelle and Jane. Yes, thank you. Very, very good. And you can find the Disney Dream Girls podcast at DisneyDreamGirlsPodcast.blogspot.com. I will have a link to their wonderful page in the show notes. Great. So if you want to share your thoughts with us, we really would appreciate that. Mm -hmm. We have a great page on Facebook. It's Facebook.com slash Disney, once again, all one word, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So like us there, join us there, give us your thoughts on the movies that we're going to be reviewing, and that'll be fantastic. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Just to let you know, the next movie that we're going to be watching and reviewing is 1973's Robin Hood. Robin Hood! Yay! So another tie-in to Once Upon oh, a so Time, excited. but... A completely different film. Oh, very much so. So. Very much so. So again, thank you so much for listening. However you found us, uh, spread the word. Let other people know that during the Once Upon a Time hiatus, there's fun stuff going on Mm -hmm. over at Roni's Own Media and with Disney Once Again podcast. Great. So there's there's Lady. (laughs) She's... She wants to be a part of the podcast, too. So thanks so much, everybody, and we'll see you next time, or talk to you next time. Yes, we will. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for Disney Once Again. Disney Once Again is a Rony Zone Media production and part of the Once Upon a Time Fan Podcast. If you're new to the Once Upon a Time Fan Podcast, you can go to onceuponatimepodcast.com slash iTunes and subscribe to the feed. That way you'll never miss another episode. We're building a community around this podcast on Facebook. You can get to it at facebook.com slash Disney once again. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, this is Jeff and Colleen saying talk to you soon.